Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, Chief Commerce Strategy Officer and Publicist, and Scott Wingo, CEO of Get Spiffy and co-founder of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 172, being recorded on Monday, April 29th, 2019. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, and as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason and Scott Show listeners. So, Jason, did you survive the epic Geek Week that we just went through with uh, featuring... Uh, Avengers and Game of Thrones really big uh, episode slash movies coming out. I did. It was super, uh, this is the first time in a, uh, so a I did not get to see Avengers yet. So I have uh, tickets for next week. So so spoiler free, please. Um, and we won't do any Game of Thrones spoilers either. Uh, but I will say it was the first time in a long time I was like desperately waiting for the weekend to be over. Why? So that we could watch Game of Thrones, like the whole, the whole weekend, I was just waiting for Sunday night, and that seems like counterintuitive. Yeah, yeah, me too. It was pretty epic. The uh, amount of geekdom was 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 off the charts. I ended up seeing uh, Endgame twice with a complicated kid arrangement, so it was uh, so I had like seven hours of of intense content, which was great. Yeah, you're the only dude I know that gets to see uh, uh, the movie twice and win Father of the Year for doing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we'll played, see my if my wife agrees, but yes, I, I'm not going to win husband of the year. I did, I did not say husband of the year. You can't win everything. Yeah. Come on. Mutually exclusive. Uh, apparently so. Uh, I will say on the, I, I joked about uh, desperately waiting for the weekend to be over uh, with a young kid at home. Uh, my, my brother who's in the same situation and I uh, have taken a saying that like uh, Sunday night is the new Friday night because like, like, Entertaining your kid for two whole days is so much more exhausting than going to work. It, yes, it absolutely is. <laughs> you could have warned me yeah. about that earlier. Sorry, you didn't ask. Yeah. So in between all that super exciting geekdom and parental exp- responsibilities, uh, I feel like it's a pretty dense Amazon week as well. Amazon News. Your margin is their opportunity. It is. So Amazon had their, um, since we've, we've, we, we were at Austin and laid down some shows that we've been putting out there. So a lot of Amazon news has come out. So first, uh, Mr. Bezos, Jeff, who's one of our top listeners, uh, he released his annual shareholder letter, which is one of my favorite days of the year. Um, and then they also had their first quarter results that came out last Thursday. So with all the Amazon news, that is going to be our focus for today's show. Um, so let's jump into the shareholder letter. Uh, this, uh, you know, I, uh, being an Amazon geek, I, I read these like many, many times. I keep them all and uh, I refer back to the 97 letter a lot. I think I've got that one pretty much memorized at this point. It's a, it's a good one. Um, but this one was, you know, this was a really interesting shareholder letter. Uh, first of all, because a lot of times, so like last year, he talked about it always being day one. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of cultural stuff, I would say about Amazon. And this one was really, so very internal thinking, kind of sharing a little bit of how they think about things at Amazon, which, which I find intriguing. 
the 2018 letter, the one that was uh, you know just came out recently, uh, it was really different because it was really external. So the first thing was there was a really big surprise. Uh, you and I have talked a ton about uh, many people underestimate the size of Amazon because their revenue is a derivative of the GMV that goes to the platform. So first party sales uh, count 100% revenue equals GMV. Third-party sales, they only recognize their take rate of that GMV. So Amazon's a lot bigger than you would think they are on the retail side. Um, And this has been a puzzle that everyone's been trying to figure out literally for 20 years. Uh, And just right there in his letter, Jeff Bezos revealed um, the the GMV for 2018 from third parties. Uh, So let me pull that up here and just kind of go through here. Uh, So... And, uh, and we'll, we'll talk about why he did this, but here's what he said. Third-party sales have grown from 3% to the total of 58%. To put it bluntly, third-party sellers are kicking our first-party butt badly. Uh, and then he said, this is kind of a little long, so I'll zip through it. And it's a high bar, too, because our first-party business has grown dramatically over that period from $1.6 billion in 1999 to $117 billion this past year. The compound annual growth rate for our first-party business in the same time period is 25%. But at the same time, third-party sales have grown from $0.1 billion to $160 billion a compound annual growth rate of 52%, so twice the rate. So he's essentially saying 3P is growing twice the rate of 1P. We've talked about that on the show. Um, That's definitely a thing. Um, To provide an external benchmark, eBay's GMV in that same period grew a compound rate of 20% from 2.8 billion to 95 billion. So uh, a lot to unpack there, but he was, he's essentially saying in 2018, first party was 117, third party 160. You add those up, you get 277 billion, do some rounding, you got about 300 billion in GMV. Um, So, uh, and then let's see. Yes. And then the, the revenues during that period were $232 billion. So, uh, But you have to take out AWS and advertising, and then you're left with retail, uh, and then you gross it back up to $277. So, so Amazon's a lot bigger than people think. Uh, so that was really interesting. Um, and you know, the, the real question is why? Why would Amazon do this? Do you have any speculation on that? On why they would uh, they shared the 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 GMV and focused on the third party sellers for the first time? No. Uh, yeah. So uh, I do. I, th- I think there's been a lot of news um, recently talking about um, uh, folks that are interested in uh, regulating Amazon, and uh, you know you have all these uh, uh, candidates for political office. Like frankly, on both sides of the political spectrum. Um, and Amazon has been an easy target. And you have uh, people like uh, Professor Galway that talks a lot about splitting up all the big uh, fang company. And Amazon always gets included in that. And um, I, uh, it's a complicated issue. Uh, and I, I feel like there, uh, there's a number of uh, vectors where the, like, the, the sort of simple criticism of Amazon probably isn't accurate or fair. But one of the the best defenses Amazon has that I think they're really trying to lean into is we we are not some big company that has these huge revenues. We're a facilitator of all these small businesses that have these these revenues. And um, you know, if you were to to try to split Amazon up based on um, antitrust laws, you'd have to establish that they're a monopoly. And one of their big defenses against being a monopoly is, hey, we don't have. Two hundred seventy-seven uh, billion dollars in sales. 
uh, our partners have this $160 billion in sales. Those aren't even our sales. Um, so I, I think uh, emphasizing the their marketplace role um, is is one of their better defenses. And I, I think, you know, there's a full-throated version of that in this, this shareholder letter, but I think there's some earlier efforts as well where they um, – like they really started doing some advertising campaigns promoting the small businesses that sell on Amazon and, and hitting those numbers. And so to me, um, there, there was a huge nugget in that letter that it was the first time that he really shared enough data to let us back into an accurate GMV. Um, and you know, I, Amazon's famous for not sharing information. Like, uh, I think Jeff has a good quote. We're in the information gathering business, not the information sharing business. Um, so he had to have a good reason to share it. And, and in my mind, the obvious good reason is, uh, it's, it's one of the, the pillars of, of his defense against the, the break, break us up argument. Yeah. I'm pulling it up here. He even specifically says, um, you know, we're, we're a very small percentage of overall retail, even when you kind of add one P and three P. So, so they're definitely, you know, kind of, trying to get in front of this the, antitrust talk that that's out there. Yeah. They're making the, the anti-monopoly argument. Um, and, and frankly, based on the way the laws are written right now, like I think it actually is a good argument. Um, the, the, the argument that comes up a lot um, for attacking Amazon though, there's this related argument. Um, and, and I think some of the, the presidential candidates have, have gotten really vocal in this one is the whole like, Hey, they're using the marketplace data um, as an unfair advantage to design their own products. So they they look at what what those three P sellers are selling, and then they knock it off and sell it themselves. And it's not fair for you to both be one of the teams in the baseball game and the umpire, to use uh, a a bad metaphor that Elizabeth Warren tried to uh, tried to use at one point. And so that's an argument that I also frankly think is wrong, but that argument ironically like probably gets strengthened by, by this argument that the marketplace is the biggest part of our business. Yeah. He doesn't really defend against that. The other one, he kind of takes a little bit of a swing out is just reminding how many employees they have, uh, you know, which is important. Um, and then they have raised the gauntlet. Um, and I think this was actually, this came out around the time, uh, I think it was Bernie Sanders was, was, you know, kind of talking about how they don't pay a living wage that they up to, to $15 an hour um, for all their full-time folks. Yeah. So that would, I, I there's a, a few funny references, like any, any, um, so the, you, you mentioned that he, he compared their, their uh, third-party GMV to eBay, which eBay did not appreciate and, uh, and had some pretty prompt uh, responses to online. And then uh, uh, Walmart decided that the, the comments about hourly wage uh, were targeted directly at Walmart, despite the fact that Walmart was not named in the in the shareholder letter. Um, and I think Walmart quickly responded, um, maybe you guys should pay your taxes, um, which also is kind of a uh, Amazon doesn't pay a lot of taxes. And I think there's a, a, a legitimate criticism to make there from a from a social justice perspective. But uh they do pay all the taxes they're required to pay under the U.S. tax code, and so it's a, it's maybe a little unfair to criticize them for following the rules. Um, but it, those are interest; those are interesting uh, sort of public feuds. I'm not sure 
that uh, in past decades you saw this kind of like real time tit for tat between you know bitter rivals. Like I, I don't think the car manufacturers took those kinds of overt shots at each other that we're now seeing eBay, Walmart, and uh, and uh, Amazon uh, uh, shoot. And uh, I I think we're going to have more examples before the show's over. Yeah, yeah. The 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 Twitter battles between these guys is pretty fascinating. Um. Okay. And then, uh, so the other interesting thing was kind of, uh, everyone, uh, was able to now say, okay, here's a real data point. Let's go sharpen our pencils. Um, now one of the things in the letter is it's, you know, because it's just a letter and not really a financial document. Uh, and this is not what's called a gap measure, meaning that it's subject to general accounting principles. Um, you know, everyone defines GMV a little different. So for example, um, eBay, uh, they've gone back and forth. And I can't remember where they are right now of you have this concept of unpaid items. So there, there are some items on eBay that go unpaid. Uh, and then, you know, should they count in GMB or not? They went through a phase where it was in and wasn't sometimes shipping is in sometimes it's not. Um, one of the things that Amazon did say was this was paid physical items. Um, so this would not be things like um, apps, um, any of the Kindle e-content, um, any e-books, any of that kind of stuff, um, music, digital music, digital movies, any of those kinds of things were not included in here. Um, so uh, that being said, uh, one of the analysts that we quote a lot on the show, John Blackledge, he's over at Cowan. Uh, he had 2018 at 313 billion. So off by about 20% which I feel like could be, um, I, I'm pretty sure this number I pulled includes media um, and digital stuff. So, and I know he has an X media. I didn't have a chance to pull it before the show. So I, I think he was pretty close. My model was a good bit higher. Um, so, uh, but percentage wise, you know, was really capturing the 25 and the 50% growth rates as well. So I'm going to go refine my model now that I actually have a real data point. Uh, and then the real variable in these data points is, uh, you know, what the average selling price is for one P and three P. So, so this really gives us a pretty good way of backing into that now, which should be helpful going forward. Yeah, no, uh, I lost like a day and a half of my life when the, that letter came out because I quickly started, uh, opening, um, spreadsheets and building forecasting models and, and, uh, uh, trying to, you know, like back into, uh, their physical GMV in North America and compare that with like Walmart's physical GMV in North America, for example. And it's, there's all kinds of, uh, interesting ways to slice it and dice it now that we have uh, slightly less speculative data. Yeah. What'd you think about the rest of the letter letter? Yeah. Uh, so I liked it. You know, he hit some uh, important points that he's, uh, he's talked about in, uh, in the past as well. The, the main theme for the, the back half of the letter after the GMV stuff um, was uh, the, the notion, uh, uh, the importance of um, curiosity and what he called the power of wandering. Um, and this is a section of the letter where he, he talked about the um, the company needing permission to um, sort of uh, stumble into new products and solutions um, and not necessarily take a straight line from each, each uh, product innovation to the next. And so... You know, he, he kind of talked a lot about how um, when uh, you know you have a successful p product and you're iterating it that, you know, you want uh, 
you know, you achieve a certain scale and you can, you know, really focus on efficiencies and, and try to take the shortest path from each version to the next version as you can. Um, but when you want to invent something new, uh, most often you can't do that by uh, knowing in advance what you're going to invent uh, and that you can't necessarily ask your customers what they want um, and, and, you know, assume that you're going to get some, some, you know, game changing new innovation out of uh sort of feedback from your customers. And so the the huge example for him of that was AWS and that like, uh, you know, no customer ever came to Amazon and said, hey, we really need uh, to rent server capacity from you. You guys seem pretty good at doing it for your retail store. You should sell it to the rest of us. Um, that that was a, a, a sort of risky bet that Amazon had to take that like if we offered this to people that they would accept it and um, and it could be a big business and it's become a huge business, um, obviously. And then, you know, in the letter, uh, Jeff gives examples of, of dozens of, of sort of products on top of AWS that got invented in much that same way that like no one was necessarily asking for machine learning, uh, learning models from Amazon, but they built them and put them on top of AWS. Uh, no one was asking for all these like specific database solutions that Amazon invented, but you know, many of them have been. Uh, super successful. Um, and, you know, he kind of made the point that that you, you have to give people permission to sort of explore and fail. Um, and then he, he sort of transitioned into talking about how important it is to, to have failures. And he talked about the Fire Phone, for example, and that that was a, you know, a, a, a billion dollar fail for Amazon. Um, but, you know, his argument was, that that failure enabled the success um, with the the Amazon as I quickly hit mute uh, <laughs> with the Amazon uh, Alexa, um, and that those products only existed because a bunch of engineers had permission to fail on the on the phone that was sort of the precursor to this product. Um, and he pointed out, as a company gets bigger, um, that their failures have to be bigger as well. And so you know he kind of. He, he talks about, you know, you should expect uh, companies of Amazon size to have some pretty, pretty big honking uh, failures and that that's a sign of, of health. And so um, I think that that's an interesting message. I, you know, like I'll, I'll be blunt, like I walk into a lot of distressed uh, clients and they they talk about like only being able to make a limited number of, of bets and they can't afford for any of those bets not to work. Um, and I'm like, well, those aren't bets. If you know, if you, if you have to know in advance that each, each one's going to pay off, like there's there, like by definition, you can't take any risk and they're not bets. And, and I, you know, uh, Jeff has talked before about like, if, if you have to know the outcome in advance, it's not an experiment. And, and so I, like this letter seemed like a kind of articulation of that philosophy from Jeff, which, which I do think makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I always get the it's it's easy to make billion dollar bets when uh, you know Wall Street doesn't care about you making you know your your EPS. Yeah, and you uh, have a huge valuation. Yeah, I, I mean, I do think that there's an argument um, that they they have more leeway, and and so you know, I, I do think there are a lot of companies where um, uh, that are a little sort of jealous of that, but um, I, uh, you know, the counter argument would be that they earn some of that leeway with their investors. Yeah, and they're they're pretty upfront about it with with Wall Street. We'll talk about it in Q one, but you know the 
you know, they basically say to Wall Street, we're really focusing on growth and we think this is a big opportunity and it's given them an investor base that's kind of gone along for that ride. Yep. And if you, um, it, uh, for those that aren't super familiar, at the end of every single uh, annual shareholder meeting, uh, Jeff references the original shareholder meeting he, uh, letter he wrote in 1997, and he includes a copy of it, which is what you were talking about at the beginning of the segment. Um, and it's in that shareholder letter that he sort of like makes the the argument and announces to shareholder that, hey, look, we're long term thinkers and we're, we're not going to um, uh, necessarily uh, focus on on short term profits. And if you invest in us, you should be up for that. Yeah. Yep. And he's been uh, amazingly consistent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, again, like the, when you write that in 1997, you might not have a lot of credibility. But uh, but today in, in uh, 2018, that uh, the fact that he still gets to to point to that letter and say, hey, we've been true to that for now more than 20 years. Like there's there's some good credibility there. Um, and as you mentioned, he kind of closed out with this conversation talking about wages and uh, I, I, I do think, you know, Amazon has made significant progress in in raising their wages, um, as have a lot of other retailers. So I would say like sort of Target, Walmart, Amazon have all announced major initiatives about raising uh, wages and, and to a large extent have followed through on those initiatives. Um, they all want to get as much public credit as they can for it. And they all want to use it as a foil for the tax they get from the, the Bernie Sanders of the world, um, comma, like there's also a very good practical capitalist reason that they're doing that, that like they're they're all desperately trying to grow and they need quality employees to grow. And uh, as they're competing more on customer experience, they, they're relying on these employees to deliver the customer experience. Um, and I think they're all just finding they have to pay more to win the recruiting battles and get the kind of employees that they need to to keep feeding their businesses. And so I, you know, I, I, I'm not so sure that these guys are all doing it out of the goodness of their heart. I think this is a, a place where, where capitalism is kind of working and driving, driving wages up a little bit, which is certainly a good thing. Um, so that was my take on the shareholder letter. I did reference earlier, like uh, that, you know, the other attack is this whole notion of um, the, the market put it's unfair to be an umpire and a player. Um, and that, that was a, a baseball metaphor that Elizabeth Warren uh, made. Like she's, she's a pretty smart woman. I'm not sure she's an expert in baseball because a, I, I didn't love that metaphor because the umpires actually work for the owners. Um, and so <laughs> I think the owners can change the rules whenever they want. Like, I'm not sure that was the, exactly the, the metaphor she was going for. Um, but the, uh, I have heard this a lot. Like there are lots of people um, that hark on the fact that like, oh my gosh, Amazon's totally leaning in a private label and they're launching all these products and they're, they're using the data from the marketplace to build these, these products. And we can't allow that. If you're going to be the marketplace, you can't also be a seller. Um, and I, we're hearing that argument more and more. And, uh, you know, you you can make that argument. Like, there, I mean, uh, there's an intellectual argument there that that a smart person could could certainly buy into. Um, but what what miffs me a little bit is people talk like Amazon's the first one to do it, and it's a new idea. And I would argue, like, that's a play that retailers have been running for 200 years. Um, and at the moment, all of Walmart's competitors are much better at that play than they are. So, like, you know, frankly, with only a few exceptions, very few of the Amazon uh, private label products are very successful. And as, as Bezos does hit, I think, I think he may have hit this in the 
in the shareholder letter also, or maybe it was in the uh, another document this week, but like less than 1% of their sales are private label. And you go look at a, a, a Walmart or a Target or a, a Best Buy and you're in the like 20 and 30% of sales are, are products that, that are owned by that retailer. And so I like, I do think we want to be careful about just saying, Hey, retailers shouldn't be allowed to sell their own products. Um, in addition to other people's products, because that, that would like fundamentally break most retailers. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how these things play out and, you know, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Um, so I know there's a, uh, super, uh, big transition that I was supposed to remember. And I think it's to the, the Q1 sales results, um, which, uh, came out last Thursday. So Scott, what, what, uh, were your sort of highlight takeaway highlights from, from the Q1 results? Yeah, so the, the really big news that kind of swamped some of the nuggets that we will cover here um, is that Amazon announced they're moving Prime to one-day shipping, uh, and they're going to be kind of gradually doing this. So it, they're going to start with certain areas in the U.S. Uh, and, and then continue to ramp it up. And that's really kind of what they announced. They didn't really announce an endpoint. Um, they also did announce that they're going to, in Q2, they're going to be investing over $800 million in this initiative. So certainly not chump change by by any means. And, um, you know, I think Wall Street is girding. So, so Amazon has gone through this period through Q1 of uh, 19, kind of harvesting a bunch of investments, but now they're really signaling both uh, with this very specific number and then their forward guidance um, and really good margins in Q1 uh, that we'll talk about. They're signaling, you know, don't get used to that because we're going to go through an investment cycle as we really invest in one day prime. Um, so the speculation, when you kind of read, uh, you know, you and I get a lot of these Wall Street reports, um, you know, I think what Wall Street kind of read the tea leaves there is, you know, uh, Prime Now is in 50 to 75 U.S. market. So maybe in those metros by Prime Day, uh, which will be July, which has historically been in July. We don't know when it'll be this year, but I imagine July. Um, and then by holiday 19, we'll see a much bigger kind of coverage base for this delivery. Um, the reaction was really interesting on social media. You and I had a lot of folks uh, chatting to us about it. Uh, Wall Street's really excited. So I, I'd say they were very almost giddy with excitement. <laughs> um, and most of Wall Street um, on the backs of this announcement, plus the results will go over, uh, essentially raised Amazon from kind of a 2000 to 2250 price target. Um, but Wall Street's kind of analysis is this is going to way more than pay for itself because you know what we've seen is as Amazon turns the crank on getting stuff to you faster and faster, your demand goes up. So you just kind of simply just, you know, it's not clear how much of that's incremental, but more of your everyday shopping kind of then then kind of moves over into the prime bucket because wow, if I could just get it next day, then that's that, you know, that's another trip to the store I don't have to make. Um, and in fact, the shares of Walmart and Target were, were took a bit of a thumping after they announced that. Um, but then at the same time, so that was the bullish reaction. The bearish reaction is there was a sea of people on on Twitter that were saying, that's kind of ridiculous because they're not living up to the two-day promise for me. Um, so it was interesting to see that there was, there was more negativity than I've seen in a long time from – this is all anecdotal, you know, and I'm, I'm sure Amazon has all this data and knows exactly what's going on. But for me, it was interesting. There was a pretty big outpouring of folks saying – uh, one day, what what happened? You know, I don't get my stuff in two days. Um, so that was that was fun to watch. Uh, the most perplexing reaction was uh, Walmart's Twitter, where they said 
one day shipping without a subscription. Interesting. <laughs> so that was funny. Um, uh, you know, uh, a lot of times the Wall Street guys, the, the headlines and the reports are kind of fun. Uh, this was uh, kind of the winner for me was Scott Devitt of Stifle. Uh, he said, Amazon is releasing the next day prime Death Star. So he worked the Star Wars reference in there, which is always awesome. Uh, Jason, what did you think about this announcement? Is this kind of the nail in the coffin for the, all these omni-channel guys that are kind of catching up to Amazon? Or, or do you think they're going to kind of uh, be able to hang in there? Yeah, uh, you're always going to win the quoting uh, contest with Scott if you include a Star Wars reference. Um, I, True. <laughs> I don't... I don't think this is the nail in the coffin. Um, I do think it's a big, smart move from Amazon, though. And I do think it's a gut punch um, to most other retailers. Um, so the, you know, no retailer has close to the investment in fulfillment that Amazon has. And, um, you know, Amazon has all this these other aspects to their fulfillment network. But if you just look at these big fulfillment centers... Uh, they have like more than 75 of them in the U.S. now and and uh, dozens of other things that support them like sortation centers and and transportation hubs and all these other things. But they have 75 of these big warehouses. Um, Walmart has the next most, which is and they have like 20, many of which are much smaller. Um, and then, you know, after that, most retailers are lucky if they have like two or three. And so no retailers made close to the the. Um, investment in fulfillment infrastructure that Amazon has made. Um, and so most retailers are, you know, taking some sort of strategic approach to how they answer what Amazon was already doing. Like, uh, oh man, we don't have close to the ability to deliver in two day that Amazon has. What should we do? Should we invest billions of dollars to try to get closer to them by opening more fulfillment centers? Um, should we, uh, use our stores more and leverage store fulfillment? Like, you know, because Amazon doesn't have stores and we do, and you know, there are all these sort of typical omni-channel plays that you would make. Um, and those are all things to sort of close the gap that Amazon has between everyone else. And so when Amazon, if, if you just came up with some strategy to par partly close the gap and you're making a, a big painful investment to to partly close that gap. And then Amazon goes, Oh, by the way, we've got another gear and we're going to open up this gap more. Um, that's, that's really demoralizing to, to a lot of these other retailers. And so I, I do think this is a big, smart move. I think it's, it was a clever way to leverage that advantage in, in fulfillment centers that they have over everyone else. Um, and, uh, you know, I think there's going to have to be a lot of soul searching, uh, amongst all these other retailers about how, how to respond um, a little more detail on the Walmart response, which I agree was totally wacky. Like basically Walmart uh, public relations made a tweet that said, um, not sure that's revolutionary. What would be revolutionary is one day shipping without a membership fee. Um, stay tuned. And the, the implication was that Walmart's going to announce something in the future that they're not prepared to announce today um, along the lines of free free one day shipping, um, and the the reality is they just don't have enough fulfillment centers to do one day shipping to to the whole U.S. Um, and so you know, frankly, like either they're going to make an announcement to dig another hundred holes and build you know uh, uh, you know ten billion uh, more square feet of fulfillment space, um, or it's going to be something like we're going to do one day shipping from our stores. 
um, which is interesting, and that could be a good customer experience. And a bunch of retailers are are using that approach. Walmart's one of the last ones that really isn't shipping from their stores. Um, but I would remind people that those stores have like a hundred thousand SKUs in them, and Amazon's selling eight hundred million products. So, um, you know, really not apples to apples if if that's the approach that any retailer takes to matching uh, Amazon. So, you know. Roll all that up, and I think the fulfillment centers are a huge competitive advantage for Amazon, and they keep investing more in it, which is a total gut punch for retailers. And and frankly, they talked about you know this being an eight eight hundred million dollar investment for Amazon. That's actually not that big of an investment, right? Um, and so I like you know I think going back to the the wandering and the size of your failures has to scale part of the letter. Like I actually don't think. $800 million in fulfillment for Amazon at this point is even a huge bet. And so, you know, that's, that's going to be problematic for retailers to match. I think they're, they're doubling down on their advantages, which is smart. Yeah. My, um, so I have two thoughts on this, um, just kind of pile on to what you're saying. Um, and you, you, you give a really good talk. Uh, you know, this is kind of rare, but occasionally you give a good talk and, uh, <laughs> one of the, <laughs> you know, the I'm topics. recording this, right? <laughs> One of the topics um, you talk about is that there, we're kind of out of fulfillment capability amongst the big three. So UPS, FedEx, and USPS, right? They're, they're kind of maxed out. So uh, as a reminder to listeners, in October of last year, Amazon started this program. They, they've tried to go at this a couple ways. First, they, they started this flex network. It's kind of like Uber for products. And I, I think it works okay, but it's not really at the density that the the volume that they're looking for and it's, it's hard to control the quality. Um, so then kind of, I view V2 of that program of doing more self-delivery is they, they rolled out this program called delivery service partner program, uh, frequently called DSP. This is very much like FedEx ground where they actually went to logistics companies and said, look, if you'll deliver packages for us, we will give you um, some vans. Uh, and in front of this, they ordered 20,000 Mercedes Sprinters, which are these really nice delivery vans uh, with, with you know, you know, orders more capacity than like your typical USPS Jeep. I think they look more like a, a, a small FedEx truck. Um, so if you think about it, I think we've, they've got six months of data under the hood. And my bet is they now know exactly uh, what the cost is and how to take over enough of the last mile in certain markets to do the one day. And I don't think they could do it when they had, they had FedEx, um, you know, primarily UPS and USPS, but a little bit of FedEx as the last mile. I, I just don't think they, the cost was cost prohibitive, but now I think they have the economics where they say, you know, if we just spent $800 million more, we got, you know, maybe that equates to another 20,000 sprinters. Um, and then whatever it is to deliver there, I think they now see that they're in this last little push and they can get to that next day. Um, so that that's my one reading of the tea leaves is, you're right. The fulfillment centers are key to it, but I don't think it was until they did the last mile that they realized that this was in sight and they could do it. And then I think once you do next day, then same day everywhere, um, you know, starts to become a pretty good reality. So then you're kind of, there's not that much more capacity. I think you have to add for same day. So, so I would say to retailers, you're going to probably have a competitor that's able to do its own last mile delivery at about half the price you would pay a third party. Uh, and they're going to be moving to same day delivery. So it's gonna be interesting to watch this and, and see what happens. 
Yeah, for sure. And like, I don't even think you have to guess that. Like, I, I live in Chicago, which I, I sometimes describe as living in Amazon's future because the, a lot of this this fulfillment capability they're talking about rolling out nationwide is already here. So the majority of packages I order get delivered in one day. Um, and they're very often uh, is a same day offer. And this is totally distinct from Amazon Prime now. So Amazon Prime now is this thing with smaller warehouses that have 60,000 SKUs and and can deliver in a couple hours. Uh, what I'm talking about is delivering from the the full Amazon assortment. And when it says, like, order right now, when will you get this product? Uh, if, if it's before noon, very often it says, I'll get the product by 9 p.m. Uh, today. Um, and almost always the like the the promise is... Um, that I can get it tomorrow, and so you know, frankly, I think what they're what they're talking about here is is building out the Chicago style fulfillment network um, for the rest of the country, and it uh, like uh, you know, I think it does fundamentally change uh, your shopping behavior when you when the the lag between uh, desire and fulfillment is is that much closer. Yeah, so one day Prime was the big kind of earth-shattering news out of the first quarter result. Um, what other financial highlights did you see, Jason? Yeah, well, they made some money. Um, so, so revenue for the quarter was like uh, just a hair under sixty billion, like fifty-nine point seven billion, um, which is nineteen percent uh, growth from from this quarter last year, uh, which was basically in line with the the Wall Street estimates. Um, but what got people excited was they made more profit on that revenue than than folks expected. So I think the the consensus goal for operating margin was like five point two percent, and they actually announced that they made seven point four percent. So that's a very meaningful beat, um, and and uh, you know it's super encouraging uh, that that Amazon is continuing to to ratchet up these sort of record profits on their their sales um and you know side note that makes it easier to make these billion dollar investments in new fulfillment capabilities um and you know a little more detail on that uh north america is is about 60 percent of amazon's revenue and that's the profitable market for amazon so that uh operating margins in north america were 6.4 percent um and international was a loss international uh so far in their in their history has always been a loss, um, but the the loss is getting smaller and smaller. So the international loss was like 0.6 percent, um, which which sort of demonstrates that they're getting close to break even and eventually getting profitability on that that international revenue in addition to this North American revenue. Um, so that seemed like a big deal and an encouraging sign. Um, and I, I think uh, Amazon attributed a lot of that that uh, incremental profit to fulfillment efficiencies. So essentially getting a return on all this fulfillment investment that you were just talking about and all those fulfillment programs and the airplanes they're leasing and things that they're essentially um, – as they scale, they're they're able to uh, to squeeze some some incremental profit out of the model, which is you know super encouraging to uh, to Wall Street at the very least. Um, and then of course you know uh, Amazon Web Services is another big big uh, chunk, and revenue for that for the quarter was like seven point seven billion, um, which is uh, still forty two percent year over year growth, which is uh, exciting because you. You worry that uh, it, it eventually you're going to, you know, when you that gets so big that it's harder to keep growing at that pace. 
Um, so I do think the pace of growth is slightly decelerating for Amazon Web Services, but it's still very fast growth. And just a quick reminder, like un- unlike the retail side of the business, that $7.7 billion, uh, is considerably more profitable. So that's a, a nice revenue uh, or profit driver for Walmart, for Amazon as well. Um, those are kind of some of the the financial highlights. What what else would you take away from the the quarterly earnings, Scott? Yeah, there was um, uh, the third party side. Fifty three percent of the units were third party. Uh, that was a new high, um, but Wall Street was expecting. They kind of viewed that as a miss. There, um, there's some revenue that Amazon does report from third party. Uh, you know, services. Um, so that was a little light. Um, another positive was subscription services, which grew 49%. And the CFO um, in his, his kind of color commentary and answering some questions, uh, you know, at in the fourth quarter report, listeners remember we talked about um, Amazon said they had more prime users added in the fourth quarter than, than ever before. Um, so one astute Wall Street analyst kind of said, hey, how are those new ads kind of converting? Because there's a free period there. Um, and they, they said that, you know, they saw really good activations across all the different prime uh, capabilities. So, so what they mean there is, uh, the way they view it is, you know, Bezos says that you'd be, they want to make Prime so good, you'd be irresponsible not not to sign up for it. So, um, so you've got the, obviously the fast free now going to one day, normally two days. You've got um, you've got uh, all the uh, Kindle stuff. You've got music. You've got the video stuff. Uh, you've got all the Alexa inputs, and there's there's even more in there, exclusive products and all these things. So one of the things that that they kind of said body language wise on the call was they're they're seeing really good kind of you know they didn't say increasing. I kind of read it as increasing. They never talked about it. And this line item called subscription services is where that would show up, and that grew forty nine percent. When you when you kind of parse through everything in the first quarter, that was kind of the fastest growing piece, which I think bodes well. If if Prime is Prime signups are one of your fastest growing things, then that signals an acceleration on the road as those people you know start ordering and taking advantage of their Prime subscription. Um, the advertising one, um, this was this was interesting. So we talked a lot about this on the show. It really slowed down pretty materially. It's been growing kind of north of fifty percent, I believe, and it slowed to thirty four percent year over year. Um, the uh, there was some talk, uh, and I've looked at this. So some of the Wall Street guys reported that there was an accounting change there. That some of the third party types of ads have now moved over into more of this merchant services kind of a line item and aren't showing up in advertising. So I, I think they're kind of, you know, there were some apples and oranges there. Uh, and then um, the CFO did say, uh, you know, if you ads grew faster than others, so the other line grew 34%. So he was kind of, you know, trying to signal, I think, if the accounting changes out there, it's still growing pretty rapidly. Um, John Blackledge, who I referenced earlier, he kind of puts the ad biz at $13 billion this year and sees it about 35 by so still, you know, kind of this this new multi billion dollar uh, line that Amazon is growing. Um, they talked a lot on the call about how, uh, and you know, I would kick this over to you because this is certainly your bailiwick. Um, they're adding a lot more capabilities here for agency types of folks to have, you know, APIs and the ability to run multiple accounts. And uh, I think they they realize that's something that, uh, you know, some of these large agencies need to include Amazon and a lot of the ad spend that's out there. Um, the, the biggest concern uh, from Wall Street is they have this metric called paid units. 
Um, and that has slowed, that was 14% growth in Q4 and it slowed to 10%. So, you know, what's interesting is how does paid unit growth only go 10% but yet total revenue grows 20%? Uh, it essentially means the, uh, the average order value has kind of doubled. Uh, there's only a way to make that work in the retail world. So, um, you know, there, there are some bears out there saying, hmm, you know, this feels like maybe Amazon's starting to bump up against challenges of scale and saturation. Uh, there's a lot of reports that show that they're at like, you know, 85% plus of the uh, high-end consumers uh, out there are on Prime um, and those kinds of things. So that's going to be a metric everyone watches really close. Uh, when they did their forward-looking projections, it does feel like a little bit of an acceleration, but it, it's not clear is that coming from AWS ads or the retail business or, or what. Um, so, so that was kind of like the only little kind of cloud on the horizon, I would say, is this paid unit growth really decelerated pretty hard, and it's the lowest it's ever been. Um, so I would say the bottom line on the first quarter, uh, it was a really solid showing by Amazon. The big surprise was the one-day prime. Um, and that definitely kind of got everyone's attention. Uh, and like I said before, most of the Wall Street folks were pretty pleased. And uh, we saw a lot of kind of you know raising of price targets to you know kind of that north of a trillion dollar territory up into the, the $2,250 kind of range. Yeah, it's going to be interesting um, to watch that the advertising thing. A lot of the the narrative I saw right after the announcement, like people people missed that um, sort of accounting change, and th- there was a little bit of a, a panic in the advertising world because there's been all this talk about, oh my gosh, Amazon's the fastest growing advertising platform, and and you know a number of analysts have sort of forecasted it to um, uh, to sort of eventually be able to compete with the Googles and Facebooks of the world. Um, and so at, at this point to already have decelerating growth, uh, would have been a concern, but obviously if that's, um, sort of explained away by just what buckets Amazon puts the, uh, the revenue in, then that's, that's not as big a concern. So it'll be interesting to see, um, like, is that, does that explain a hundred percent of it or have they had a deceleration? Um, well, I, I am sort of, uh, bullish on on Amazon's prospects as an advertising platform uh I think you you hit one of the pain points that that's going to keep them from scaling is their 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 advertising tools and capabilities are are uh much more nascent than say a, a Google or Facebook and and you mentioned uh agencies don't like that and that's certainly true but uh like increasingly the the Google and Facebook tools are good enough that clients like to run their own campaigns and and uh that's that's way less uh, true on Amazon today. So Amazon has a lot of catch up to do on tools, and you you know you could see that like I'm sure they're they're investing a lot in the tools right now. Like we see a lot of new APIs and capabilities coming out all the time. Um, but but that could be a constraining factor on their advertising. Um, and then the other thing that I still speculate is at least a constraining factor in the short run is the budget that these advertising dollars are coming out of. So. Um, you know, I, I still think the majority of advertising that happens on Amazon is advertising for a particular product uh, that a brand is trying to sell on Amazon. And th- those ads usually come out of what's called the trade budget. Um, and a lot of the dollars that get spent on Google and Facebook come out of a, a marketing awareness budget. Um, and I, I'm not sure Amazon has established themselves as as a viable um, platform for those 
those kind of top of the funnel advertising dollars in the same way that that Facebook has yet. Um, and I think if they're ever going to really scale, they're going to have to demonstrate that they're good at that too. And so I think only time is going to tell um, there. Uh, but that's probably a good place to leave it, Scott, unless you have any any closing remarks because we've, we've used up the our budgeted time for, for the show. I think that's all the exciting news on the Amazon side. Let's just kind of keep it there and we'll be back with more guests and more news and future episodes. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Yep. And if you did enjoy this episode, we sure would appreciate that five-star review on iTunes. Uh, As always, if you have any comments or questions or we got anything wrong, feel free to to reach out to us on Twitter or leave us a note on our Facebook page. We love to to have a dialogue with all our listeners. And until next time, happy commercing. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com. 